Our focus today is going to be on verses 10 to 16. Uh, You may have noticed that in the reading, we jumped back to the beginning of the chapter, uh, even though we're only going from 10 to 16. And the reason for that is uh, the the verses that we are focusing on this morning is a continuation of the thought that Paul was sharing with a group of believers within the Corinthian church that believed that all sexual activity should be avoided, including sexual activity within marriage. And as you may remember last week, I had to cut it short because I had a whole lot to say on verses 1 to 9, when in reality I could have gone all the way to 16, uh, but I felt like this was best served if we broke it up into two pieces. Uh, And Paul initially agrees with them that people should avoid sexual activity as uh, long as the people were single, right? Because he knows that sex is an act uh, that is only to be engaged in, in with a husband and wife within the confines of marriage. And along with that, Paul thought it was better for people to be single, right? He'd rather single than married because Paul says in verse 8, it is good for them to remain as I am. And Paul was single, and he believed that being single was superior to being married because it provided more opportunity to serve the Lord. And in Paul's eyes, there's nothing wrong with being married. It's not sinful. It's just that when you're married, your first priority is your relationship with God, and then your second priority is your relationship with your spouse. And Paul likes the bachelor life, and in being a bachelor, it means that he is free to serve the kingdom of God, and he wishes that everyone were as free as he is to serve Christ and to share the, share the message of the gospel with the world. And so he's saying it's better if you can do that, and that's his opinion, of course. Um, but with that freedom, though, Paul understands that there is a restraint on sexual activity, and, and that's something that he is willing to give up in order to serve the Lord. And in this... Paul is in agreement with the people from Corinth. He says it's better for us not to engage in sexual activity. He goes, well, if you're single, yeah, it is better that you don't do that. It's better because then you're not in a relationship with a spouse, and therefore you can do whatever you need to do for the kingdom of God. Um, But in all of this, Paul's not in complete agreement with them because he does not agree with them on this stance when it comes to people who are married. And in verses 2 through 5, Paul explains that married couples should engage in sex regularly to ward off sexual morality and any interference in their marriage from the temptations of Satan. No sex if you're single. Regular sex if you're married. And in our passage for today, we're going to see that Paul says, if you are married, you should stay married. Right? In verses 10 to 16, it appears that the people who are pro-celibacy are encouraging people to get divorced if they cannot live a life with their spouse without engaging in sexual activity. So it's like, hey, if if you're married to this person and you just can't keep your hands off of them, you should get divorced because being celibate is better than a sexual relationship with your spouse. This is idiocy. Absolute craziness. And Paul is going to put a stop to that by sharing these words about marriage. Let's look at them again. Beginning in verse 10. He says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. 
Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. And so... For those of us who are in this room today who are followers of Christ and married, in these verses we see that there is a divine command, not from Paul but from God, that we are to stay in our marriages. When we enter into marriage, we are entering into a covenant with three people. You've got the husband, the wife, and God. You are all entering into that covenant of marriage together. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the covenant that a husband and wife enter into with God is a representation of Christ's relationship with the church. We talked about that uh, either last week or the week before. They're all running together at the time, at this moment. Uh, so this is a covenant that should not be entered into lightly. Right, think about what you're doing when you tell the person standing across from you on your wedding day that you are going to be in a covenant with them for the rest of your life. To have and to hold in sickness and in health, riches and poor, until the day that you die. This is not a covenant that should be gone into lightly. Right? And it's not a covenant that should be broken flippantly. Right? A lot of times we enter into these relationships, the world seems to think that it's, as long as this is beneficial to me and, and it's beneficial to you, then we'll stay together. But at any point, if that balance is off for any reason whatsoever, then we can just break this off. No harm, no foul. You go your way, I'll go mine. And that is nothing, there's nothing about that in the Scriptures. It's a terrible, terrible way to look at and experience marriage. We should not be entering into divorce. And we certainly shouldn't be entering into divorce, breaking this covenant of marriage for something as silly as pursuing celibacy when you're married. Marriage is the outlet for sexual activity that God has given to us. The marital relationship was made to be permanent. We are meant to remain married until uh, we either we die or our spouse dies. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12, when he's approached by some Pharisees who ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? So back, back in the time of Moses, Moses allowed for divorce. You could, you could search out a certificate of divorce, it could be given, and then after that, your relationship with your spouse is dissolved. And many people took that idea, as they often do, and they ran with it. So if there was ever anything that was displeasing in a wife, well, you burned a toast this morning, I'm going to get a certificate of divorce. Right? You didn't get that stain out of my clothes, I'm going to go get a certificate of divorce. Right? I had a child come up to me and ask me a question. They're supposed to be seen and not heard. You should be doing something about that. Let's go get a certificate of divorce. 
People were running with it, and it was rampant sin. Anything that a man decided to get a divorce on was allowed, and he could seek that. A woman could not. A woman was not allowed to legally separate from her husband. You're going to see, when you look at verse 10, right? it says, To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Do you hear the difference in language? The husband could pursue divorce. The wife could not. She just had to leave. The Pharisees here are attempting to get Jesus to speak out against the law of Moses so that they could trap him with his words. And Jesus says this to them regarding marriage, beginning in verse 4 to verse 6. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So they're going to the law of Moses, and they're saying, Hey, Moses allowed this for us. He said, No, 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 you're not going back far enough. He said, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back before sin entered the world and take a look at what God had to say about your marital relationships before sin entered the world. He says, when that happened, the man will leave his father and his mother and they will become one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When we enter into a covenant of marriage, we have entered into a one flesh union with our spouse and with God. And that covenant is meant to be continued until God calls one or both of the spouses home. Till death do us part. There is nothing that anyone else should do to dissolve a marriage in this life. And the Pharisees are confused by this. They continue on that line of questioning and by asking in verse 7, Why then, they asked, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? To which Jesus replies, Moses permitted you, not commanded you, but permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it's not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. If there's any reason at all whatsoever that you have divorced your spouse and you pursue another relationship, you have engaged in adultery because you are having sex with someone who is not your spouse. You have divorced your spouse. But that does not mean that you have dissolved that one flesh relationship that was entered into when you walked into that covenant with your spouse and God. Here, in these verses, Jesus tells the Pharisees and all that were listening, including us today, that the only reason that Moses allowed for divorce at all was because the people were sinful and their hearts were hardened. What we need to hear from that what we need to internalize deeply is that in their pursuit of divorce, Moses made a concession because of their sin. It's always sinful to pursue divorce. Always. Period. Dot. The end. Some, some sin has occurred to go through that process. 
Right? There is a brokenness in relationship that we cannot avoid. Right? You cannot go around that and say, this is justified. Sin creates a concession so that we have an option for divorce through what Moses said. But pursuit of divorce only comes because sinful actions of at least one person in the marriage, but usually a combination of sinful actions from both people in the marriage. This is not how it was supposed to be. And divorce was certainly not to be an option for any issue that just happened to displease a husband. It's absolutely horrible. It's horrible that you could use someone for your benefit, and if they displeased you in any way, you could just cast them aside like garbage. It was never meant to be that way. Jesus reigns all of that in by declaring that anyone who divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality and marries another person commits adultery. Jesus says that the sexual relationship that you enter into after divorcing your spouse is an adulterous relationship even if you have married that person. And even though there was a concession made by Christ for divorcing your spouse due to sexual immorality, right, we see two possible options in Scripture for divorce. Sexual immorality and an abandonment by an unbeliever. That's what we're talking about today. But even though that concession was made by Christ, that's not what the example that we are shown by God in his pursuit for his people. Right? Throughout the Old Testament, God references his people as his bride. He's the bridegroom. We are the bride. And throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel were constantly accused of adulterous relationships as they pursued after worship of other gods. They would leave Yahweh behind. They would pursue after whatever God that suited their fancy at the time. And as that progressed throughout the people... God would eventually call them out on their adultery and he would punish them because of their adultery and he would try to call them back out of their adultery. And it would be easy for God to completely wipe them out. It would have been easy for God to choose another people group to be his people. But even though his people were unfaithful, God remained faithful to his covenant with Israel. And in the same way, we are to be faithful to the covenant that we have entered into with our spouse. Yes, God has allowed us to divorce our spouse if there is ever any marital unfaithfulness. But in his actions with us, we see the example he has set for us. It's always reconciliation that God is asking for us to pursue. He always desires reconciliation, if it's at all possible. And that's why Paul says in verses 10 and 11 that there is a command by God that a wife is not to leave her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife. And if a woman does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. I mean, this idea that we can just crumple up and throw away an old marriage and then enter into a new marriage is wrong on so many levels. That same command applies to the husband as well. You're not allowed to just leave and enter into the next relationship without there being a problem there. 
Jesus clearly said in Matthew 19 that divorce for any reason other than unfaithfulness leads to adultery in any other sexual relationship that we pursue. As believers, we're not to pursue divorce, especially when it's a professing Christian who is married to another professing Christian. Now, that's the scenario that many of us would be in, but that's not necessarily the scenario that the people in Corinth are facing. Now, the people in Corinth are coming to faith out of pagan lifestyles. They're coming to faith out of religions that were far from God, and that meant that often some of them would be coming into a divided home. And they hear the gospel, the, the Holy Spirit overwhelms their heart with the reality they are sinners in need of a Savior. They come to faith in Christ as that Savior, and then they go home to an unbelieving spouse. Some people may have been tempted to leave those relationships. Can you imagine if you and your spouse have two uh, religious relationships that are at odds with one another? Now, what if one religious religion allows you to have sex with prostitutes in the temple and the other is now calling you to be completely faithful to your spouse forever? They're going to be at odds with one another. And it would be very tempting to leave. Paul addresses that. Verses 12 to 16 says, But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So let's say in this moment you come to faith in Christ. Your heart has changed. Your life has changed. You have died to the old self and you're rising to the new self. And you walk into this relationship with this person who is still dead to the old self. It would be really, really tempting for us to get out of that as quickly as possible. Paul says, if the unbeliever is willing to live with you, you should stay with the unbeliever. And he gives a, a really interesting reason for that. And it's something that I feel needs some clarity. Because in verses 14 and 15, it says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving Wife is made holy by the husband. Or it's just 14. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And so if we're just ripping verses out of context like people are prone to do, what we could easily say here is that by being in that relationship with the unbelieving spouse, we can save them. That's what it, that's what it said, right? Because if we are in that relationship with them, it says that they are holy. But in reality, being holy simply means set apart. It means there's something different about their life now because you are a believer in their midst. And we see that we're not saving them by our faith. Verse 16 says, wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So obviously there isn't a, a direct correlation to my salvation and the salvation of my unbelieving spouse or my unbelieving children. 
So he's not here saying that if you get saved and your spouse is an unbeliever and that spouse dies, he's not saying that those people are going to heaven. He's not saying that an unbelieving child is going to heaven because mom or dad is a believer. That's not how this works. Like I said, verse 16 doesn't allow us to take that stance, and neither does the rest of Scripture. Scripture says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And my faith is not transferable to you, and your faith is not transferable to me. But what these unbelieving spouses and the unbelieving children do have in blessing now is someone who has a relationship with God in their midst. They do have the presence of the Holy Spirit in their house because Paul has already said that when we come to faith in Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so suddenly where you have a house that has done nothing but pursue after false gods, false idols, sinful practices for their entire life, suddenly the presence of God is in that place. Suddenly those people are set apart because they have access to the gospel that they never had before. Those people are blessed because of the presence of the believer in their midst. But Paul also says there that if your unbelieving spouse does not want to be in that relationship with you, then you should let them go. He says that you're free. And there's some question about that. Some people will hold fast that there is no other excuse for divorce. Nothing else separates a marriage except for sexual unfaithfulness. And so they would say that you're free. You should just be at peace. You shouldn't fight to cling to that relationship, but you still shouldn't remarry. And then there are others that read this and they say, no, when it says you are free, it means that you are free. When they have pursued other things and broken that covenant relationship with you, you are no longer in that covenant. And so any other pursuit of relationship outside of that would not be adultery for you. And there's smart people on both sides of this. I personally lean towards you're completely free. I believe that there are two things that render a marriage a divorce possible, and that is sexual morality and if a non-believing spouse decides to leave. And that's it. Those are the only two reasons that we, have, we see in Scripture that we can put any kind of weight on that says we are free to pursue a divorce. We are no longer bound in those instances. That's a, that's a heavy statement because there are some people who are in terrible marriages absolute brutal marriages going at each other all the time constantly tearing each other down and you're and you know people look at me and they say you expect me to stay in this with that person who takes no takes me into account not not at all constantly pursuing after their wants their desires their needs and they think about me not at all. I stand on the Word of God. I'm going to be honest. Everything in me tells me I want you to punch them in the face and run away. I do. But the Word of God is the authority in my life. 
the Word of God should be the authority in your life. And so, one, this is why it is so important that Christians should enter into relationship with other Christians. The presence of the Holy Spirit should be in both both spouses to the point where your desire is to pursue after God. And I always, whenever I do any kind of marital counseling, I always draw a triangle. You've got God at the top and you've got the husband and the wife at the bottom. And what you find in that relationship, if both people are pursuing after God, it brings you together, inevitably. If you've got one person pursuing after God, it's still not the worst possible relationship that it could be, but it's not the best. When you've got one person pursuing after God and the other person is pursuing after their own desires, their own wants, their own needs, and not taking into consideration anyone else in that relationship, well, one, I would say that it's a solid possibility that you're not actually a believer. When you can pursue after your own wants and desires and just completely not think about your spouse at all, there's no apparent sign of faith in you. These people, they had one believer and one spouse who was not a believer. There's no reason to expect that other spouse to pursue after God, at least not in the same way that the believing spouse is pursuing after God. And Paul says remain. Paul says endure. Paul says stick it out because in, your, in the process of that, you are being Christ to them. You are showing them what it means to be in relationship with the Savior. So we need to stay if we can stay. And there are so many whatabouts. There's so many questions that come. Uh, People will ask, what if it's an abusive relationship? What if I'm being physically abused by my spouse? Leave. Leave. You have been abandoned by a non-believer. If you're being abused in your relationship... Physical abuse, sexual abuse, leave. You have been abandoned by a non-believer. What if your spouse has been unfaithful? You have the option of leaving. Right? Christ provides that, but he says, if there's any chance of reconciliation, you should pursue that instead. That's a hard teaching. I've counseled people through that. I sat down in a room with a husband who was actively pursuing that relationship, the adulterous relationship, and a wife who was willing to work it out if her husband would repent. And I had to encourage her to do that. And guys, I've told you, I just wanted to punch him in his smug face. To see this woman being faithful to her God and being willing to be humiliated by this man who showed no repentance was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do as a pastor. But eventually the, the, the marriage ended and no harm, no foul on her part. She did the best she could to reconcile. She tried everything. And then he eventually pursued divorce. She's free. 
She's free in that. So this is not an easy teaching. It's, it's, a, weighty, it's a weighty thing. But in this, we should be mindful of what it means to be in a covenant relationship with our spouse. We should be mindful that we can't just casually jump in and we certainly cannot casually jump out of these relationships. If anyone here is struggling in their marriage, I would love to walk through that with you. You represent Christ and his church. And I want that to flourish in your life. And I can promise you that it will flourish if both of you will pursue after God. I promise you it will. If one person is going to be selfish and not pursue after the Lord in in their heart, then yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. It's not impossible though. So again, I encourage you to endure in these relationships that are not abusive. Right? We already addressed over the summer about this idea that God wants you to be happy. Right? What did did God want you to be happy? Do y'all remember that message? Does God want you to be happy? Yes. Yes, he does. Does God want you to be happy in pursuing whatever your desires are? No, he does not. He wants you to pursue his righteousness, his commands, and the everything that he wants you to do. That is where you're going to find your true and lasting happiness. That is where unending joy is found. So in that, we need to be pursuing reconciliation in our relationships. But first and foremost and utmost, we need to be pursuing a relationship with the Lord. Again, it's a, it's a weighty thing, and I want to be with anybody here who is struggling with that in their relationships. I want to be there to encourage you. I want the church to come around you and encourage you in those relationships where there's a non-believer who is not helping you pursue after the Lord. It's a very lonely place to be, and it's important for the church to surround these people, to show them the support, to weep with them when they weep, to give them the help that they need. And that's what we're here for. And for the rest of us, let's be faithful in our marriages. Let's pursue after the Lord with everything that we have and let's encourage our spouse to pursue after the Lord with us so that we can all have marriages that flourish. Let's pray. Father, it is my desire to bring you honor and glory in all that we do. It's my desire that all of the marriages in this church would show the beauty of Christ's relationship with the church. Lord, I know that there are no such thing as perfect marriages. There is always going to be struggle. But I pray, Lord, that we would have hearts that desire you that could overcome whatever difficulties we find ourselves in in our marital relationships. Lord, I pray for non-believing spouses in this place today. I pray that the love of the believing spouse and the reflection 
of your love for the unbelieving spouse would change the heart of the non-believer. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open eyes and change hearts. I pray that we would get to rejoice with people coming to faith through the faithful effort of believing spouses. Lord, give us the strength to to endure the difficult times in our marriages. Help us to root ourselves in your love and to pour that love out to our spouse. We love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.